Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of The Why Behind the What, where the what can start a conversation, but the why can open up one's soul. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so grateful you are listening today. First off, friends, it's been a while. It's been a long while, actually, since I put up a new episode. My apologies for that. I have plenty of excuses for why I haven't put as much time into this podcast as I'd like, but I am sorry it's been a while. Uh, Do you know the seasons in life when things are grueling and busy, and you think you have a free weekend at the end of the week, and it turns out that free weekend isn't for another five weeks? Yeah, that's been my life recently. Uh, Kate and I, we've been uh, fortunate to travel quite a bit the last uh, four or five weekends. We've been in Ohio and New York City. We went up to Maine. That's been a lot of fun. Ministry itself uh, has been challenging recently. Uh, At times, it's been emotionally draining, uh, stressful, uh, and that's the season we're in right now. And then, of course, recently our baby, Foster, has decided not to sleep very well for the last week or two, so we're tired. But this is where we are, Uh, but we're back at it. Here we are, back at the why behind the what, and I'm glad to be back and uh, looking forward to the upcoming weeks ahead. A couple updates for you. I'm going to talk about this until you're sick of hearing it, which could be today. But my book, Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear, it's out and it's ready for you to read it. Guess what? It's not on the New York Times bestseller list. It's not been reviewed by anyone famous. It's not breaking charts on Amazon.com. Nope, not at all. But you can get a copy. And once you do, you can read that copy. And once you read that copy, you can review that copy. And once you review it, why don't you share it on social media? Uh, That would be really helpful to me. Uh, Getting the word out about the book is uh, crucial. And uh, we all know that when we read books, we recommend books that we love. So, um, And we read books that are often recommended to us. So if you can recommend this to some friends or those who might need it, that'd be really, really helpful. If you're local and you are in the Rhode Island area, I can hand deliver you an autographed copy if you like. So just reach out to me, come find me, and uh, I'll get you a copy. Also, in October, on October 10th, I will be in New York City uh, to give a talk uh, at Google, actually. I'm, I'm going to give a Google talk at their headquarters for a day. I think that's a Monday, the 10th. So if, in, if you're in New York City, I'd love to meet up with you. I'll be there for a little bit. Um, those of you who won't be in New York City, the Google is going to put that that talk up on its Google Talks YouTube channel. So those of you who are interested, you can uh, view that at a later time. Also, I'm looking for some new people to interview for this podcast. I have a list going, but that list is getting shorter, and I would like to add some more people to that list. So if you know some someone who is awesome, or you know you are awesome, reach out to me. I'm looking for people who have a good why behind the what. What are they doing Uh, that's making a difference in their community or in their neighborhood, and why are they doing what they're doing. So reach out to me. Now, today's episode. Today, I'm going to cheat. I'm sorry. I'll be playing a sermon, actually. I recently preached with my good friend Josh. Uh, We co-preached or team-preached this sermon. It's a sermon on why it is that we sing in our church gatherings. So those of you who go to church, we're going to get behind the, the why behind the what of why we gather together and sing songs together as a community. So we'll be talking about that in this sermon. Now, Josh and I have known each other for a long time since our days at seminary. As you'll hear in the sermon, we are kind of this odd couple that somehow became friends and not even sure how it happened. Uh, when, but when Josh and I became friends about 10 years ago at seminary, we never, ever, ever would have imagined 
that we would be working at the same church, both living in Rhode Island, of all places, and team preaching together. So this has been a lot of fun. Uh, This was a great sermon for us. We had fun doing it, writing it, and uh, delivering it. You'll hear a bit uh, of cracking in one of our microphones. The audio is a little weird at the beginning. That eventually goes away, but hopefully you'll enjoy, enjoy that as well. If you're interested in hearing more of my recent sermons, you can check that out, nathanalbert.com speaking, and I have some of my uh, most recent sermons up there, as well as some of my favorites as well. So here we go. Enjoy the sermon, uh, the why, why we sing, uh, delivered by me and my good buddy Josh. This morning, we are going to co-preach, team preach, something we've uh, never done together. Uh, but we've done elsewhere, and something that we haven't really done here at Christ Church. So uh, this might be the best sermon you've ever heard. This could make for some great stand-up comedy, or it could be a train wreck. It might be a little of all of those. We got through the first service. Um, So yeah. Uh, But this morning, the two of us, we're going to be talking about uh, why we sing when we gather together on Sundays to worship. Right away, we want to acknowledge that music can be one of the most divisive elements of our congregational gatherings because we're all different, and we all have our own preferences. Now, while our personal opinions and inclinations about music may threaten to divide us, we believe that there's something more powerful that unites us, and that's the object of our worship, the God who loves us. So we're going to talk about music and singing, uh, but before we get to that... Uh, we need to give you a little background about our friendship uh, because it's hilarious, uh, but it's also a great example of how what unites us is far greater than what, what divides us. And so during seminary, we met in 2007, uh, Josh and I became close friends because Josh willed it to happen. I had, I had no say in us becoming friends, none. So on the first day of orientation at North Park, we we're all standing up and saying something about ourselves. And when it was Nathan's turn, he stood up and I took one good look at him and I just said, we are going to be best friends. It's creepy, but true. And so, oh, uh, it's, it is true, yeah. So Josh and I started uh, becoming friends. We had classes together, but we really uh, bonded in our first preaching class together in seminary. Uh, It was in his first sermon, as he wore khakis and a blue sport coat, uh, he quoted characters from the West Wing as if they were real people and they were actually his friends. Uh, But he, in that sermon, he was masterful with his use of words and language. Nathan's first sermon was all the evidence that I needed to know that he was going to be a gifted preacher. And I told him that immediately afterwards. I said, this is what you are supposed to do. But it was interesting because he actually got downgraded because he wore a dark undershirt under a white button-down, and that was labeled distracting. Um, It's funny that he was the one to get downgraded for clothing because I'm definitely the one who needed fashion advice in seminary. It's true. When I met Josh, he wore cowboy boots, flannel shirts, and car hearts. I didn't even know what a car heart was. I thought cars had engines, not hearts, uh, but car hearts are pants. As you can see from this first picture, uh, this is Josh... Yep. yep. Like he's not dressing up there. Like that. <laughs> I have a collar. That's dressy. Uh. <laughs> when I met Nathan, he wore trendy shoes, fitted vests, and more scarves than I could count. He had long bohemian hair and cool glasses and sideburns that would have made Elvis jealous. You can take a look at this. 
so many scars. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we couldn't have been more different. Uh, one Halloween, we decided to actually dress up like one another. So here's a picture of us at, at Halloween. <laughs> Can you tell who's who? I don't know. Uh, but it wasn't, it, wasn't just the, it wasn't just the clothes. Uh, we were like some weirdo, odd couple that had no reason to be friends other than Josh's uh, pathological determination to make us friends. Uh, and it was pretty comical how opposite we actually were. Nathan was a city mouse from Chicago. Uh, Josh was a country mouse from Minnesota. Uh, Josh liked his coffee black. Nathan liked his coffee with cream and sugar. Nathan had been an actor and a performer. Josh had been a groundskeeper and a FedEx delivery man. I didn't think that that would get laughs. I didn't think so either. <laughs> it's true. Every time, it's gotten yeah. like the big laugh, yeah. Those are good careers. Yeah. Nathan was meticulous about things like getting his papers finished early and keeping his apartment immaculately clean. Josh was more, um, well, laid back on those things, uh, usually finishing papers the night before or the morning of the due date, uh, and his apartment was less for looks and more for comfort and storage. Uh, but somehow, despite our differences, we became incredibly close friends. This is uh, not, this is one of a, well, I guess it's not that recent of a picture, but this last one is when uh, Josh and I uh, were in suits together. Um, but that was at my wedding a few years ago. But without one another, uh, we've joked that we probably wouldn't have survived seminary. I definitely would not. <laughs> um, and we have countless more stories that we edited out of, of today's talk. But uh, over the years, our differences and our preferences and even our theologies uh, have expanded and changed. And on the whole, we agree much more now than we did when we first met. And we continue to have different preferences uh, on a number of things, including elements of worship in our Sunday morning gatherings. For instance, uh, I love gospel music. I want, to, I want worship to be celebratory. I want to reflect on the good news. I want to get my groove on a little bit. I want to clap on two and four rather than on one and three. Uh, I want to repeat choruses as a way to meditate uh, upon the truth and goodness of God. I am much more at home singing hymns. There's a richness in thought and theology that appeals to me in hymns, and sometimes the repetitions in contemporary songs, I feel like I'm being hypnotized. It's probably because I'm hypnotized that I prefer uh, extemporaneous <laughs> prayers. Uh, I, I believe that they allow our deepest desires and our passions to bubble up and bleed out before God. Uh, and I got a little Pentecostal in me, so I, I, I love them because they, they open us up to the Holy Spirit's promptings. I prefer written out prayers, and I've said this before, it's because sometimes I don't have my own words to pray. I'm tired or overwhelmed or distracted or frustrated, and words don't seem to come. So in those times, the written prayers of other people build a bridge of words that brings my mind back to reality, leads my heart back to the love and peace and strength that I need so badly that can only be found in God. When I preach, I prefer exuberant shouting during sermons. I, I'm, I, I like verbal feedback and claps and shouts of amens or preach, yes. I get a little nervous about <laughs> feedback. Mostly because I'm worried it's going to be less like, amen, preach, and more like, get him, you're fired. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 
Preach. Yeah. So even though uh, we have our preferences, we've also come to uh, deeply appreciate each other's preferences. That even though uh, I, I deeply appreciate hymns and I enjoy singing them, even if they aren't my preference, so to speak. Uh, but what undergirds all of these differences for us is there's this un- unifying belief that singing songs to God is good. Uh, there's something, uh, when we gather together, it's good for our souls, it's good for our church community, and it's good for our faith. And as strange as it is, if you really think about it, that a group of people gather together in one large room and start singing together, it's a little odd, uh, but in that, something mysterious happens. Uh, and as we sing together, we are drawn together as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's this horizontal di- uh, dimension to our singing. It, it unifies us. It, as we put aside our differences or our concerns or our to-do lists of the day, uh, and, and we do this in order to stand together with like-minded sisters and brothers in order to be reminded of who God is and what God has done. Uh, but there's also this vertical dimension to our singing as well. That singing unites us with God. It connects us to God. It, uh, as, as Colossians in Scripture says, uh, we sing songs with gratitude in our hearts to God about who God is and what God has done. So it connects us horizontally with one another as a church community, and yet it connects us vertically with God. Uh, last year, I saw uh, a performance of one of my favorite musicians. His name is Martin Sexton. He was at the House of Blues in Boston. Uh, and it was a great show. And at the end of the show, the gentleman who was sitting next to me uh, uh, turns to me and he said, this was his best show yet. Uh, he was on fire tonight. And then he said, I'm not much of a religious person, but that, that was like spiritual. It was like church. And there's something truthful about his statement, that there's something about concerts. I, I, I don't know how many you've been to, but, but there's something about it. Perhaps it's the music or the atmosphere or the experience itself, but it's, it, it's somehow spiritual and enlightening. It, it can awaken your soul. Uh, concerts connect you with other people, the horizontal. They connect you with others that, that uh, you are sharing this experience with others. You're, you're talking about uh, your favorite songs and, and, and when you saw uh, the, your favorite musician at other concerts. And yet, it also connects you vertically, in, in a way, with the artist itself. That seeing them live or hearing the band or seeing them perform, you all in this room, all of you have this shared experience and you leave a little bit different because you all encountered this concert together. I'm always amazed at how much freedom there is at concerts. Uh, People are raising their arms and enjoying uh, the music and they're dancing and they're not self-conscious and and they're connecting with others and they're shouting and they're sharing stories uh, of other concerts and they're mesmerized by the performance. There's this total engagement that's going on. And I've often hoped church services uh, could be more like concerts. And I don't mean like the flashing lights and the fog machine and the smell of stale beer and uh, loud music that like your ears ring for days and days. Uh, but, but the atmosphere and the energy and the engagement. Like what if our churches, we didn't, we didn't come with any preferences. We were just here to enjoy the experience. And we weren't concerned if the person next to us uh, could hear us singing, or we felt free to dance and clap and lift our arms, and we felt connected with one another, and we did our best to connect to the ultimate artist, the ultimate performer, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of heaven and earth. Throughout scripture, there are tons and tons of examples of music and singing being used to the glory of God. 
over and over, singing is one of the primary responses of the people of God as a way to respond to the actions of, of God's working in their lives. For example, when the Hebrew people are, are brought uh, through and, or brought across the Red Sea and delivered from the Egyptians, they immediately respond with singing, with songs of praise. And they say, I will sing to the Lord, for the Lord has triumphed gloriously. When the Israelites, for example, are delivered from Canaan, Deborah, she sings a similar song. Hannah, after she is finally able to have a son, she sings about God's redemptive and good work. And then the Psalms, they're full of references to making music to God. Some talk about using your own voice to sing to God. Others talk about writing songs for God. Others say, use any kind of instrument to praise God. Psalm 149.1 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Praise God in the assembly of the faithful people. In Psalm 98, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All of the earth break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. In Psalm 140, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God all the days of my life. And then this trend continues as we go into the New Testament. For example, the first chapter of Luke uh, is or the first couple chapters of Luke, are almost all songs. It's like a, a musical in there. It begins with Mary responding with a song of praise for her being pregnant with the Messiah. Uh, after finally being able to talk after a season, Zechariah sings at the birth of his son John. The shepherds see a choir of angels singing praises to God. And then when Simon finally sees the infant Messiah in person, he sings a song of hope. And then as you travel throughout the rest of the New Testament, you have these letters directing the followers of Jesus to sing psalms of praise and to sing spiritual songs and hymns with gratitude in their hearts to God. There are parts of scripture, uh, and you see this in uh, Philippians 2 and in Colossians 1, that are uh, supposedly, they, they call them Christ hymns, that these were hymns that the, the followers of Jesus were singing that they had taken and put into scripture itself. And so our singing is a way to praise God for God's mighty work. It, it can comfort us in, in times of affliction. It reminds us about who God is, and it connects us with one another and with God. Now, sometimes it's a challenge to sing. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And this isn't because someone on the worship team might be offbeat or someone near you is totally tone deaf. Um, but it can be a challenge to sing on a Sunday because we come to Sunday worship with the experiences and the trials and the pains of Monday through Saturday. For a summer, uh, both of us actually, we were, uh, as part of our seminary uh, internship, we were both chaplains at different hospitals uh, throughout Chicago. And I was a chaplain for the pediatric intensive care unit and the emergency department for a pretty large hospital in Chicago. And once a week, we worked a 24-hour shift uh, where we covered the entire hospital as chaplains. <clears throat> Uh, these were totally brutal work days. They were like the worst day of the week because uh, as we were the sole chaplain uh, for the entire hospital. And as such, we were called to every code blue. Uh, we were called, called to every patient that call, wanted to uh, see a chaplain. And we were called to every death that happened throughout the hospital. So one brutal shift I, I remember uh, included seeing uh, countless patients going from room to room. I attended a few deaths. Uh, I had very little sleep on a, on a hospital bed in the kind of a hidden part of the hospital, and then uh, I sat through the night with this elderly woman as her husband uh, was close to death after um, being in surgery for most of the day. And my shift ended after, this, after 20 some hour, 24 hours with just enough time to grab a cup of coffee and head to church. Uh, 
I thought that was the place I should go. And as I entered church that morning, I was exhausted, uh, not only physically, uh, but I was spiritually and emotionally just done. And when the worship team began, I mean, they played some gospel music, and it was where I got my groove on. Uh, and they started getting their groove on. I was like, uh-uh, I, I, I couldn't do it. Couldn't clap, I couldn't sing. Uh, I just couldn't celebrate that God was good after what I had been through. And I remember uh, simply praying as I stood there. I said, God, I believe these songs to be true, and I believe that you are good, but I cannot praise you right now. So that day, my church sang for me because sometimes you can't sing even though you know God is worthy of a song. Nearly every week, uh, I'm up here in front and I'm looking out at you as we sing together or as some of us sing together because I see you, I see you. There are a number of reasons why you might not sing on any given Sunday morning, but I've found that it usually has to do with one of three explanations. One, you don't sing because you're self-conscious of your voice. You're scared that you'll make a fool of yourself if you sing in public. Two, you don't sing because you're just not that into it, you don't like the song choices, and you're just waiting to be allowed to sit down. Three, you don't sing because like Nathan just shared, you feel like you can't lift up your voice in praise when your heart feels so trampled down into the dirt. If any of these reasons sound familiar, here's what I would offer as a response. If you don't sing because you're self-conscious, take heart, have courage, and dare to sing because this isn't a singing competition and God will be pleased with your heartfelt singing no matter what you sound like. You don't have to be the loudest voice in the room. But your voice is important, so let yourself sing. If you don't sing because you're bored or you don't like the songs, then maybe you've misjudged what it is that we do here. It's tricky these days because some congregations have prioritized rock star worship bands, mind-blowing stage designs and multimedia presentations, and pastors who are pretty much celebrities. But the truth is that gathering together in worship isn't about entertaining a crowd and pleasing everyone's musical preferences. It's about coming together as sisters and brothers united in Jesus Christ to worship the God who loves us and who's worthy of all of our adoration and praise. So if at times the musical selection isn't to your liking, then in the words of one of my longtime mentors, get over yourself. It's not about you. Finally, if you don't sing because you feel too worn out, too overwhelmed with stress or grief or fear or pain, then I will say this to you. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. You don't have to bury your hurts and pretend like everything is fine. This is not a place where you need to put on a happy face and grin and bear it. God knows what's going on in your life and in your heart. He sees through us like an x-ray, skeleton, When Jesus walked on this earth, he experienced the heartache and the sadness that ebb and flow in the human experience. So it's okay if you can't sing today, because we will sing for you. And when the time comes, you will sing for someone else who's battling a storm. I'm not advocating that everybody sings just because I'm the pastor of worship arts. A little bit, but not totally. <laughs> Honestly, I think there's it's, too, it's important to sing together because singing together 
in worship to God does something to connect us to God and to connect us to each other. When we sing together, we unite our voices, our minds, our hearts as we give God the admiration and the reverence that he deserves. No matter what's happened in the past week, no matter what awaits us in the coming week, we set aside these moments on Sunday morning to renew our spirits with the gospel, the good news of who God is and what he's done. It's like a much-needed reality check before we go back into our frenetic lives. And it realigns us so that we're in sync. We're ready to partner with each other and with God as we work to bring about his kingdom in the world. We find healing and hope and rest for our weary souls, joy for our tired hearts, and we get to begin again. In the olden days of sailing, when human muscles were the only power source for all the work aboard the ships, there were tasks that required the crews to work together. In order to hoist the sails or to raise the anchor, crews had to work together and stay in rhythm to get the job done safely and efficiently as they made their journeys across the sea. The way they did this, they sang. We're not so different from those ancient sailors. As we journey through life, as we work together to be the people of God who bring the good news of God's endless love to the world, we need to be in sync, not the band. I mean, it would be great if we could be the band in sync, and I think Justin Timberlake could bring a lot of energy to our Sunday mornings. I got this feeling inside my... It would be so good. No, not that in sync. What I mean is that we need to be in rhythm with God and with each other. And singing helps us to do that. As Nathan said, there's a vertical and a horizontal element to singing. The vertical element is that we're singing to God. We're praising him. We're recounting his faithfulness, expressing our gratitude, confessing our brokenness, and asking for his help and his power in our lives. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And it's a two-way street, this vertical thing. At the same time, we receive reassurance, comfort, hope, and love from God in the words that we sing that remind us of his active presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lost are saved. Find their way at the sound of your great name. And there's a horizontal aspect of singing. It's one of those, the whole is more than the sum of the parts kind of things. We can each sing to God on our own, but when we come together and sing with one voice, something happens. It transcends our individual limitation, drawing us into a unity that's part of God's plan for his people. This unity reveals the presence of God's spirit where two or more are gathered in his name. And that spirit gives us the love and courage and hope that we need in our lives. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, we enter each other's lives. We bring comfort and help and encouragement and joy. We sing to celebrate with each other. And we sing for those who can't sing for themselves. As we've been talking about a horizontal and vertical element of our singing this is actually a reflection of the good news of Christianity. It's a foretaste of a, of a heaven, heavenly reality. For the good news of Christianity says that, that God is reconciling all things back to himself. 
that, that he is making all things new. He's breaking down all barriers uh, horizontally and vertically. And this means that right now, uh, because he is making things all new and he is reconciling, that right now things aren't perfectly reconciled, that there are barriers that hinder our relationships with one another, whether that's our greed or our judgment or uh, our, our e- the ease in which we dehumanize others or uh, systemic things. We, we, there are barriers that hinder our relationships with each other. At the same time, there are vertical barriers that hinder our relationship with God, and our sin blocks us from experiencing a true relationship with God. And yet God's plan all along, from the beginning of Scripture, has been to break down these barriers, making it possible for reconciliation uh, and making things right against vertical and horizontal dimensions. You, you see this in Ephesians 2. Many of you know this passage where that reminds us that God is reconciling the, the horizontal di- dimension. That God has destroyed the barrier they're talking about, uh, the dividing wall of hostility, Paul says. Then he's creating a new humanity out of the, out of the two, which are the Jews and the Gentiles. These, this barrier between these, uh, they were so separated, so hated one another, racially uh, just angry at one another, that God is making two out of one because of the cross. And then Colossians 1 reminds us that God is breaking down the barriers between, in the vertical dimension. That, uh, as it says, that God has reconciled you and I by Christ's physical body through death on a cross to present you and I holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. So this is why the cross is such a powerful, powerful image for the Christian community. That the cross was once seen as this form of punishment and execution and it brought fear. And now it's a symbol of love and freedom and hope and life. It is the image that reminds us that God is reconciling all things back to himself. That the vertical aspect of the cross uh, reminds us God is reconciling us to himself, making that relationship right. The horizontal part of the cross is reminding us that God has reconciled each of us uh, to one another and that God will reconcile us to the world, making our relationship right. And you need both, uh, both parts of the cross. Uh, with just one, you've got a stick, and the other one, you just got... Well, gravity will take over and it'll fall down. Um, and this is why we believe that, that what God is ultimately about. And this is what we believe that all of Scripture is pointing to. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was about reconciling us to God, reconciling all of us to one another, and reconciling us with creation. As Philippians says, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and held onto. No, Jesus laid aside his preferences. And as he pleaded with God on the night that before he was to be executed and he knew what was going to happen, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He made himself nothing, taking the very form of a slave. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. And because of that, God uh, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so this, yeah, that gets a preach and some claps and amens. I know, I know. If you're with me on that, you can, yeah. But this is why we come together each Sunday. This is why we gather. This is why we lay down our preferences. This is why we seek to remain united. And this is why we sing. Because as we do, we are connected with one another. As we do, we are connected with God. And all of this is good, good news. 